Hello and welcome to the All 80s Movies Podcast, a podcast where we talk about the blockbusters, the flops, and everything in between from one of the freshest decades for movies, the 1980s. I'm your host, Bill Bant, and along with me on this journey revisiting 80s movies is my co-host, Jason Nasek. Hello, Jason. Bill, get the hell out of here now. You get out of here, Jason. I'm trying to watch the Smurfs. You're trying to watch the Smurfs? Yeah. Did you see the one where Papa Smurf took a crutch and smashed the shit out of a guy with a red hat? Did you see that one? You want to see that one? That's right, listeners. Today, we'll be discussing with spoilers aplenty the 1985 comedy Summer Rentals, starring John Candy, Richard Crenna, Rip Torn, and Carrie Green. Directed by Carl Reiner, this movie is rated PG with a running time of one hour and 27 minutes. This episode kicks off our Summer at the Cinema series, where all the movies we discuss in the month of July take place during the summer. So, what is this movie about? What's on the box? If you grew up in the 1980s and went to your local video store to rent this movie, you would find this description on the back of the VHS box. It is What's on the Box. Take it away, Jason. Carl Reiner directed this tale of a family man who takes a vacation from sanity when he takes a lease on a Florida summer rental. Comedy sensation John Candy plays the stressed-out air traffic controller whose much-needed family holiday yields one hysterical misadventure after another. From settling into his hovel, to settling down on a party beach, to settling the score with a nut at sea. The fun's in the sun, and so's the moral. Taking it easy is tougher than landing a 747. John Candy's about to face the most devastating experience known to man, the family vacation. Summer Rental. So Summer Rental. Yeah, that's our first movie for our Summer at the Cinema series. Um, how are we doing, Jason? Great. Happy summer, man. Yeah, summer already. God, I can't Oof. believe a year ago. We were it's doing a hot this. one already, too. All right, so that was our What's in the Box segment. And uh, as always, we move on to our earliest memories. What are some of our earliest memories from Summer Rental? Jason, start us off. I will, Bill Ben. Thanks. I only have the vaguest memories of this film. Honestly, man, I know I've seen it a few times. I recall watching it on the cable, but I can't tell you any specifics. Like I'm already, I'm like speechless. I'm trying to come up with anything. It's just vague images. That's all I got. Obviously, I thought it was at the very least somewhat amusing if I watched it more than once. So that's it. I have no early memories of this film, no theater going experiences or any other nostalgic attachments to it. I was just looking forward to an easygoing and slightly amusing watch. I had not much in the way of expectations on this viewing. How about you, Bill Bant? What are your early memories of Summer Rental? Um, this was a movie I was very excited to see because growing up as a kid, we did the summer rental thing. Uh, Wildwood Crest, New Jersey, 6901 New Jersey Avenue, the greenhouse. And uh, we would go, it'd be my parents, my grandparents, my great grandparents when they were alive. My uncles would come down, my cousins would come down and we would do the last two weeks of the summer right before Labor Day. And a couple of days later, we get back, it was going to school. So I was like, oh, a movie about stuff that I went through as a kid. So I was really excited to see it. I was a big John Candy fan um, from SCTV. I don't know how many of his other movies I had seen up to that point, but I knew who he was and I didn't get to catch it in the theater. Finally saw it on video, rented it, and I enjoyed it. You know, the family aspect of it, you know, reminding me of stuffing the crap out of your um, our station wagon and 
my dad would fill it so much. There was like a little space and that's where you would sit and drop in the back of the station wagon and go. I mean, we didn't have enough that we had the whole trailer hitch deal, but we, yeah, we did the duffel bags on the roof rack and all that kind of stuff. But to me, just the memories of vacation. It was always such a great time as a kid. You didn't understand all the planning and all the stress you had to get through to do it and get down there. You know, the fact you're around all your relatives, you're just, it's two weeks of being spoiled. I was just really excited to see the movie, something that I could actually relate to. And it was one I, I did watch a couple other times. Um, I just remember the first time with the cooler scene, just laughing my ass off with my my family, which that was hysterical. Of course, the big boat race at the end of the, of the film, which we get to see in a movie we talked about uh, last year, um, One Crazy Summer. So that's that's, right. that was a big thing of the big boat race scene. But um, I remember just enjoying it. Like I said, it was just something that was like, I was a summer rental person. I love it, man. That's just, it reminds me that I also have very specific memories of summer vacations with my family. Now, it wasn't a specific summer rental. It was actually a couple of timeshare condos that my parents had managed back in the day. And this was in Sarasota, Florida. So that brings me to actually my initial thoughts after watching this film. If, are we ready to get into that next segment, Bill Band? Oh, yeah, go for it. All right, then let's just start there, just kind of connect the dots, because I really appreciated your early memory of the actual summer rental, because it's so specific. You remember the house, the color of the house, the address of the house, what it took to get there, and all of that, uh, which is just, it's wonderful. I love the specificity, because you can almost, you can see it, you can taste it, you touch it, you, you all the senses are still there, that sensory recall. And that's uh, similar to my memories of our Florida vacations with my immediate family. And the specific connection to this film in particular was that I was so fair skinned, just like John Candy in a way in this movie growing up that I always got that sunburn. I never necessarily fell asleep in the sun. And one of my worst memories actually was my mom just lathering on the sun lotion. I was just thought it was so greasy and nasty and I hated putting it on. But I always got a nasty burn, my nose in particular. Uh, I would get blisters. It was terrible. I remember the crowded beaches, even though there was a beautiful white beach. I, it was just kind of the sand, you know, getting everywhere, the uncomfortability of it at times. But my, I remember my sister loving to swim all the time. Like the kids just want to get into the water, right? In this movie, it's the first thing. My sister was just like that. I remember going to the local popular seafood restaurant, like in this film, for me and our uh, family, it was a restaurant called The Magic Moment, which was really cool because they actually did magic at your table, but there was a lobster tank and all of that. Yeah, it really brought me back to my summer Florida vacations. And again, the location is very specific in this movie and it's uh, the exact same. It's Florida. So it's, I believe they shot some of this or most of it near or around St. Petersburg, Florida, even though the fictional town is Citrus Cove. Yeah, so yeah, that's my first initial thought. But uh, like you mentioned, man, uh, this movie is John Candy's vehicle. This is his movie, and he's simply lovable. What an everyman, blue-collar working man here, just a regular guy trying to make his way and support his family. What a wonderful physical comedian. And sometimes I like to do a little bit of where is he at or where are they at in this case, where are our actors at 
And uh, you'd mentioned SCTV. John Candy had been working since he was 1972. You know, he was in the Blues Brothers. He was in 1941. He was in Stripes. Then uh, did another stint with the SCTV network from 81 to 83. One of his great bit parts was in National Lampoon's Vacation as Lasky, the security guard at Wally World. Just yes, amazing. Yeah, truly. It's just a, such a small role, but I, you can see it. You can. It, he was hilarious. And then uh, he had Splash, which we covered on this podcast, Brewster's Millions uh, with Richard Pryor, and then this. And if you want to know the rest of his filmography, just go to IMDb. It is incredible. Just hit after hit after hit. And uh, so many favorites of mine. Uh, We lost him too soon. He was only 43, which is insane. Yeah. Especially he was that young. Died of a heart attack in Mexico uh, in March of 1994. Uh, and then this final film, Canadian Bacon, was released in 1995, posthumously. A real, real loss. Uh, then getting to our director, Carl Reiner. Man, you know, he has back-to-back summer movies, almost back-to-back. There's two years in between. But he had this summer rental and then in 87, summer school, which we did last year for our, our summer at the cinema series. It was just It's no surprise watching this going, oh, okay, I see some similarities. It really has that easy breezy feeling about it. Just a really easy watch. So Carl Reiner, one of the great comic actors, writers, directors of all time, whom passed away at 98. Long life, man. Yeah. That was only a couple of years ago. Mm -hmm. Uh, Shout out to Carrie Green, who plays the daughter of the family, the Chester family in this film. Carrie Green, one of my very first crushes. She was the cheerleader Andy in Goonies. And that was released the same year as this in 1985. Uh, for some reason, she looks a lot younger in this film, in Summer Rental, than she did in Goonies. But uh, then she followed it up with not only Goonies, but Lucas, and then didn't do a whole lot afterward. Absolutely adorable in my eyes. Then we get a very young Joey Lawrence here. Whoa. <laughs> well done. Child star, musician, singer, performer, was in a few different television shows. Uh, he was Joey Russo in Blossom. He was in Melissa and Joey. He starred in Give Me a Break, Brotherly Love with his real-life brothers, Matthew and Andrew. We get Richard Crenna. We had talked about Richard Crenna a bit when we covered Body Heat. Hey, he's got some comedy chops, man. Yes, he's he pretty good. as the. Yeah, he's pretty funny. He's the, he's the antagonist in this film, Al Pellet. What a name for your oh, I know. guy. Pellet. Hey, man, in this movie... I couldn't believe it. I couldn't believe it. There's seatbelts in this movie. The children are wearing seatbelts in the station wagon, Bill Bant. Yes. But there is one scene where they have the youngest daughter in the front seat, which is kind of funny. Yeah. And I think, yeah, they were in the back seat wearing seatbelts. I'm not sure. I don't know if anybody's wearing seatbelts yet in the front seat at all. But uh, when when they are traveling down to Citrus Cove in the station wagon hauling the the mini U-Haul, we see the daughter's got some sweet 80s radio headphones on. So they had, they used to have, they still do have these, but it just cracked me up because my dad always loved these headphones that just had radio on it. it. Wasn't to be plugged into a Walkman, a stereo of any kind. It just had the radio on it. You just listen to radio stations on headphones. Okay, sure. Great. And I kid you not, Bill Band, I actually bought a brand new pair of radio headphones for my dad probably a year ago, two years ago. They're these like big, bright yellow things, <laughs> pretty obnoxious <laughs> in case uh, you need to find him in the dark while he's running. That's what he li- when he likes to wear those. Anyway, hey, man, you know, when I was watching this movie, it brought back that feeling of 
arriving after a long road trip at your vacation destination, and you're so excited to get into that summer rental or condo or vacation home that you just leave the bags in the car, you, you hop out, you get to the place, you want to check it out, you run around the house, you look in all the bedrooms, the kitchen, you check out the view and you're just, especially as a kid, man, that's what this, this reminded me of. And that's exactly what they do in the movie. Uh, so I love that feeling, uh, remembering that. Then in this movie, they end up not going to this, or they end up not staying at the seafood restaurant that they originally wanted to, but they end up at a place called the Barnacle, which is a little more rundown on the water. And there's a pirate musician playing a Casio SK-1. Love it. Love it. Total 80s flashback for me. I like seeing brand checks on the breakfast table in this movie. I love seeing good old John Candy in a Blackhawks jersey, a little, you know, Chicago Shout out. He's wearing a Stan Makita jersey, although their family is actually from Georgia. So we get some great 80s movie music in here from Axel F to Footloose. Also then, yeah, finally, my initial thought would be this was, yeah, definitely an easy, easy watch. Uh, Less than an hour and a half long. But I'll be honest with you, Bill Bat, this was not a great movie for me, or in my opinion, not a great movie. It's just okay. Not really anything special about it. It's not a terrible movie. It's not a great movie. I just felt there wasn't any real stakes. There's some good hijinks and fun with John Candy's character, but a lot of the supporting characters are not fleshed out. Uh, There's no real solid arc in this. Uh, Again, no real relationship or character development. It just kind of happens. It's one event leading to the next. And I like to compare it to eating Subway. It looks tasty and healthy, but in the end, it's just kind of like eating air. It's just like uh, watching a bunch of moving pictures here and then it was over and you move on. So it met my expectations in that way, being that it was slightly amusing, but uh, that's it for me. What what are your initial thoughts, Bill? Yeah. So for me, my initial thoughts of the movie was, yes, this is a John Candy vehicle and they certainly focused this movie on John Candy. And I, I thought it was a cost of wasting too many other possible storylines that they could have done. I didn't feel like there was enough interaction among the family. Agreed. John Larroquette shows up in the movie and he's totally wasted. Yeah. What's that all about? You have this whole uh, thing with lifeguards that are living next door to the house that they're renting. And you think maybe Jennifer's interested in one of them. It doesn't go anywhere. (laughs) Nope. (laughs) There's possible running jokes where the place that they're renting next door, they're doing uh, construction and they can never hear one another because the construction is going on, but it only happens the first day. The construction is not finished, but then that joke goes nowhere. So it was kind of bummed. Like when we're doing the research, they really rushed this movie into production to get it out during the summer. And it really shows. Yeah. Yeah. You know, one of the things that I saw also was you find out that John Larroquette is divorced and he has a son. The son, they're there to spend their vacation. And I guess he's trying to start a relationship with Sandy, who's John Candy's wife. But they dropped it because test audience didn't like it. Okay. And I get that. But I was like, if you're trying to make a John Candy vehicle funny, why don't you do it the opposite way where John Candy thinks there's something going on between Sandy and Larroquette's character, but there's not. So then he gets like jealous and he's trying to spy on them and all that kind of stuff and make the hijinks that way. So you can involve the family into it. There was a, just a lot of stuff that just didn't seem to go anywhere. It was really choppy, mm-hmm. but it's John Candy. So 
that I didn't have a problem watching. I, I can watch. I mean, I think of the 87 minutes, he's probably on the screen for 80 of them. That's it's a very good point. rarely that he's yeah. not on it. And I think that's what kind of helps the movie. But I really wish that he took the time to try to figure out how to get the family more involved in the film and really sell the perils and headaches you have when on vacation, when it really is, you know, you, you plan this whole trip. Well, in this case, he was kind of forced into the vacation, but you really plan this as just a getaway, to get away from all your problems. And you just realize you just run into a whole new set of problems. And I think mm-hmm. if it just played that up and how the family works through it and gets through it, I think it would have made it a more complete movie. Absolutely. And really, and just really played more into the, the comedy aspects of it, too. So that that was that was kind of my big takeaway from it. I couldn't agree more uh, with every point you made. And I will address some of those points and some of my other ideas as well in one of our later segments. But you you nailed it. It's just my my old acting instructor, uh, Ken Lerner, used to say when in a scene study class, if, if like, like there was an obvious choice we could have made as an actor, that would have been a good choice, a hot choice, as you might say. And we didn't take that or make that choice. He would say, you missed a bet. Like you should have made that bet because you would have won. And I think this movie missed a lot of bets. And I thought it was very similar to my commentary on, or I should say our commentary on Crocodile Dundee, which was that there was about 20 minutes missing, 15 minutes maybe where there was some relationship development, like a chunk missing or a conflict missing. And thus it almost skipped the third act. It, that's Crocodile Dundee. This is kind of similar where it was just like, w- there's a lot of common plot lines and or common tropes that are used in this type of summer comedy that uh, they did not employ, which was just there for the taking. So- it is what it is. It was still like, like you said, John Candy is still fun to watch. Yeah. Cause I even thought they missed another opportunity at the end, which I thought was kind of cool when they were rolling the credits, they were showing photos of right. the trip. And when I'm watching, I'm like, Oh, cause you, you specifically see Sandy taking pictures throughout the movie. Oh, I would have loved to see those pictures. Yeah, right. Plus, sure. Plus what other things that they did. Maybe they're going out, getting ice cream or just that kind of stuff. I mean, The Hangover did it the best when you see the photos at the end and you're busting the gut of everything, oh, that, yeah. the missing night. That, that it fills in the blanks for you. Right. Yeah. I would have liked that to happen here too. See some of the pictures that we, like, what did she actually see through the camera that now we can see? And what else did they do on this trip? So it fills in those gaps for us. And I was like, oh, this is wasted moment. I mean, some of the, I mean, some of the pictures are cool and I, I, I like them, but God, that was a wasted opportunity too. You really could have saved yourself there at the end. Yeah, 100%. You know, our our mutual friend, Chris, actually was talking about, he was explaining some of his criticism of a different television show, talking about how he likes to see all the characters interact. And it's a mistake when they separate those characters for too long. Sometimes it's necessary and all the, you know, characters will separate into different groups and have their own subplots, which is fine, but they do need to come back together and all interact somehow. And I think that is a problem with this film. I think you touched on it briefly where you don't see a lot of the family interaction. And that is a problem because we have just basically the family goes off and disappears in this movie. And John Candy is trying to learn how to sail. And that's a bulk of it. It's a real, it takes up a lot of the the movie and it's kind of like, well, what is the message of the movie? What is the arc here? What are we supposed to learn or understand from this? Who is there 
do the characters learn anything? Does it prove their bond somehow? Does it bring them together? It doesn't come through. It's a kind of rings hollow in the end. No, that's a good point too, because there is a scene where they're at the breakfast table and the kids are complaining that dad's not paying attention to them. Exactly. Yeah. And I was like, well, why don't you then do something where at that moment to take them somewhere, you know, maybe they go play mini golf or something and you right. know, just hilarity ensues somehow. I thought that conversation was going to be the catalyst for something like that, but it didn't happen. No, it's kind of weird. They should add maybe another 12 to 15 minutes to this. Yeah, movie. that's it. Then you get an hour and 40 minute movie. Yeah, it still works. Absolutely. Anything else with initial thoughts? No, I'm good, man. Let's let's keep it rolling. All right. So let's move on to our favorite scenes and moments. What are some of our favorite scenes and moments from Summer Rental? Yeah, if you want to go first. All right. Let's talk about it. Uh, one of my favorite scenes is somewhat near the beginning when we have the Chester family who has gone down to Citrus Cove in Florida for it's about supposed to be about a four-week vacation, I believe. And they get to their summer rental, and it's this beautiful home, uh, this nice wood-finished uh, home. And they are it's got this fantastic ocean view. It's right on the beach. It's just really cozy. And you're they're feeling good as the audience. We're feeling good for them. It's like, this is going to be a great vacation for them. And once, <laughs> what ends up happening is in the middle of the night, Jack Chester... John Candy's character, here's some rustling coming from outside. Sounds like it's basically an intruder alert, intruder alert, as if someone is breaking in and he goes downstairs and he arms himself with a statue that's near the door. And there's somebody trying to, what it seems like, pick the lock to the front door. Whomever is outside opens the door and John Candy's ready to hit them over the head with the statue. And lo and behold, it's this African-American family, this nice family, whom is like, what the hell are you doing in our house? So the big reveal here is that they actually go over the address and they're supposed to be at, uh, this is the Chester family, John Candy's family is supposed to be at 415 Beach Road. And this address is 415 Beach Lane. Yes. So they've been in the wrong house the first couple of days. I don't know how long they were yeah, actually there. Yeah, it doesn't there. establish how long they're there. Right, yeah. But it's just a little bit of a funny exchange because John Candy has, at this point, already gotten into this extreme sunburn from falling asleep on a lawn chair in the sun. And his wife has put noxema all over his body. So he's got these white, creamy patches all over his face. And he looks like a clown because the, his red cheeks are shining through. And he's embarrassed. It has a great moment where he... <laughs> makes the realization he's at the wrong address. And this family that seemed to be breaking in, who actually uh, lives there, own the house. And he puts two and two together. And he just has a blank stare on his face for a good three seconds. And then says, he hands over that statue to the guy. He's like, I guess this is yours. Yeah, love that. <laughs> yeah. That was a laugh out loud. Yeah. And so that's that's a great moment. It's very amusing. So the Chester family has to quickly pack up their shit and get the hell out. And I have to say, the African-American family is extremely gracious. They go in and sit in their own living room, waiting for the Chester family to go upstairs, get their stuff out of the bedrooms, et cetera. And they're going, coming back down the stairs and filing out. And of course, a little bit of physical comedy from John Candy. He's carrying this huge bag of dog food, which he that slips or trips and spills the whole bag of dog food on the ground. And it's like, well, there's no recovery from that. It's just dog food everywhere. And Archie, their dog, uh, starts eating. And the family is just like, guys, just 
leave it on the floor. Just go, just get out. And John Candy exits only to re-entry or re-enter shortly afterwards saying, oh, I forgot the Noxzema cream, which is just kind of funny unto itself. Like he actually bothers to come back back in to retrieve the Noxzema cream. Like it's just leave it, dude. Just leave it there. Two ninety nine. Yeah. So that was funny. And he goes back upstairs, comes back down with his younger youngest daughter, Lori, and says, like, I forgot my daughter, too. (laughs) And the daughter goes, Daddy, I I wet our bed. And he goes, no, sweetheart, you didn't wet our bed. You wet their bed. That's a great last line. Yeah. And then they leave. Uh, So that's my first favorite scene. Yeah, I had that one uh, down also as uh, one of my favorite scenes. And what was kind of funny too, because then when you look back on it, you kind of see some of the clues because when they unpack the house and they go outside and they see the neighbors and the neighbors keep giving them like weird looks. At first you're thinking, Oh, they're just super rude. Right. But then you're kind of realizing like, wait, what are you doing here? This isn't your house. Why are these people at the house? It seems very strange because the people that own the house are African-American and here's a white family in the house. So it would seem very odd. And then I just felt really bad too, because on the trip, like I said, he packs a station wagon plus a trailer. Yeah. A lot of crap. That's a lot of crap. And then oh, they yeah. got to repack all this. Because there is one moment where Sandy says to Jack, John Candy's character, uh, you don't have to pa- unpack everything now. He's like, no, I just want to get it done. If he had just listened, half the stuff at least still would have been no in kidding, the car. Right? And they wouldn't have to worry time. about putting all that back. Who knows what time they got there? Probably in the middle of the night because they were all sleeping. And now you're trying to rush and put everything in and it just even made it more silly. Yeah. It is one of the funnier scenes of the whole film. No doubt about it. Good stuff, man. What's your first favorite scene and or moment? Um, So I'm going to go and I kind of mentioned at the very beginning, just because when I saw it the first time, it was just so funny. It's the water cooler scene. Oh yeah, for sure. That's what I have that as well. So they find the new um, house, which is on Beach Lane. And uh, of course, it's not the dream house that they were hoping it was going to be. It's it's in rough shape and they're finding all the issues with the house. But hey, they're going to go to the beach. They're going to make the best out of this. And initially, John Candy Jack is going to take the youngest daughter to uh, nursery school for some reason in the middle of summer. I didn't understand that, but that's what he was doing. I have that to talk about later as well. And then you find out the nursery school is closed. And so he has his daughter and all his beach stuff, and he's going to meet his wife and the kids on the beach and they get on the beach and the sand's too hot. So of course he picks up his daughter and puts them over on his shoulders and he's walking around. He has this giant red cooler and it's one of those old coolers that has like the little uh, nozzle at the end that you would use to drain out yeah, the, the yeah. water. Well, the nozzle is broken and the beach is packed. It is packed. It's a, it's a small, it's not a very wide beach. So everybody's kind of filling in there. He has no idea where his family is and he's trying to walk through everybody with this cooler. And of course, all this ice cold water is spilling out and he's spraying it on everybody. And of course, when he sprays on someone, they, you know, cold water, they react, they jump up. And he tries to apologize, turn to apologize to them. And then in doing so, of course, now the cooler spins around and wets the people behind him. And now they're jumping up and what are you doing? And he tries to turn to apologize to them. And he's stepping on people's hands. He's putting out people's little um, mini grills. He steps on someone's um, suntan lotion and sprays all over someone else. It's just it's just a comedy of errors. It's a really quick 90 second scene. But just anything that could go wrong on the beach 
goes wrong. And it is one of those things that I know too, the crowded pieces, you just want to find your little area and try not to step on anyone and everyone's laying and sleeping. And everybody knows that John Candy has now arrived at the beach, basically when the scene is over. And uh, the first time I saw it, I, we were just rolling. We were just rolling with laughter. It was pretty funny stuff. It was, it was good physical comedy by John Candy. A hundred percent. Good call, man. I had it down, as I said, as well. It's a great psychic it's something you can relate to it just made me just cringe because thinking of crowded beaches it could be so uncomfortable when you are trying to find that one patch of sand to lay your towel down on and be somewhat comfortable without kicking somebody the the biggest fear as a kid as we were told was never t- to kick sand on anybody oh yeah which was impossible when you're a kid and you just want to have fun and run around and play with the frisbee the football whatever it might be uh we had like a paddle ball thing we would play with but you'd inevitably lose the ball. You'd be kicking sand all over. the. So when he's doing that, and for such an extended period of time for that, like 90 seconds, it's just one thing after another. And it's it feels, even though it's quick, it feels never ending. Very fun. It plays really well. So totally agree. Oh, yeah. And then the best ending is he finally finds his wife and he plops down on the beach towel. And she was trying to blow up an inflatable raft. She's like, oh, good, you're here. You can finish blowing this up. And you can already tell he's exhausted. And he's just like, okay, yeah, sure. I'm just breathing out air anyway. Why not? I thought that was a nice little uh, bow on the the end of the the clip there. Absolutely. Yeah. So what do you got uh, next for a favorite senior moment, Jason? My last favorite moment actually happens when the situation is that Jack Chester has wandered next door. Uh, he actually didn't wander. Excuse me. What happened is his next door neighbor, Vicky, a very attractive woman, comes over in her bikini and chats him up a bit. And he ends up going over to her place to hang out. I believe they're having some lemonade is what she invites him over to have some lemonade. And she decides that she needs to show him her boob job. So she takes off her top and it's very uncomfortable for Jack uh, it's slightly amusing, of course. And meanwhile, while his family is off doing their own thing and he's next door, obviously nobody's at their place. It's wide open. And so we see these random beachgoers start to fill their place. We actually, it starts with a mother and a son. The son needs to use the restroom. They go to the door, which is open. And Archie, the dog, of course, is just sitting there doing nothing. He's not a guard dog at all, which is funny. Yes. And then the uh, mom's like, well, there's nobody here. Okay, kid, go just be quick and don't make a mess. And then, of course, we see another gentleman walk up who is just really thirsty and needs to, a glass of water or something like that. And then the woman doesn't say anything for some inexplicable reason and just allows that guy to go in the house. So we know that all of a sudden, all these random strangers are going into the summer rental here while the Chesters are away. And it cuts back after a while, and it's just really funny because it looks as if there's an entire beach party happening inside the house. It's packed. There's somebody in the kitchen cooking up a storm. Drinks are being had. And there's a guy on the phone talking to his mom, I think. Even oh, in the yeah. I forgot about uh, that. The other guy yeah, yeah. I almost forgot about that, too. And it's hilarious because, like, oh, my gosh, how in this you know short period of time did all these people just end up in this house? It's you just have to go with it a bit. But of course, John Candy comes back to see all these people and he's just had a weird whirlwind of experience running into his neighbors and this woman with her boob job, et cetera. So he's a little out of sorts. 
he's injured his knee. So he's got like this uh, inflatable cast around his leg and his foot and he's kind of popped the cast. So he's just out of sorts as it is. Shows up frustrated, sees all these people in the summer rental and starts telling him to get us, get the hell out and then goes into the bedroom and lo and behold, there's this heavy set dude. And this is where I, this is just one of the, my favorite moments in this favorite scene is that this guy's this like slovenly fellow is on the bed, smoking cigarettes, drinking a beer. He's got the television set on the end of the bed. He's got it on the edge of the bed, not on a TV stand or a dresser or anything like that. It's actually on the physical bed in front of him and he's watching the Smurfs. And that's when John Candy comes in to see him and loses his mind on this guy. And that's in direct correlation to the quote uh, from the opening of the podcast that I'd mentioned. And the guy, of course, gets scared and just runs off. And you just see this like pile of sand and all these cigarette butts on the bed sheet, which is gross. And Archie, of course, is on the bed too. the dog just lying there as if it's just another day at the office. I laughed that I actually laughed out loud at that moment to see this guy on the bed with the TV. It was just, I don't know, tick, it just got me in the funny bone, man. So it's a fun scene. Yeah, I thought that was funny. Just the fact that Archie was lying in the bed with the guy. I'm like, come yeah. on, dog, what are you right. doing? But yeah, this party had everything except for um, Frankie Avalon and Annette Funicello. At totally. That yeah. It was great because he comes in and he's just in shock of how the hell do all these people get in my house? And like someone walks into him and they give him like a rude look, you know, get out of the way. Yeah. Out of the way, fats. I think is what they say to him. Yeah. This is the guy that's renting the place. And then just the fact he takes his crutch and the guy's in the kitchen, he's making food and he just swings the crutch and knocks all the food off the counter. He's like, get out of my house. And of course, everyone's like, what? And then he takes the crutch and starts beating the crap out of his refrigerator. Get out of my house. Get yeah, out of my house. Yeah. And then everyone just takes off, except for the guy on the phone. Right. And then he's like, get off my phone. That was hysterical. Then you think, okay, everyone's gone. And sure enough, guy in the bed. Right. It is a fun scene. I would love to have seen how more people would have gotten into the house. The fact the guy needs water and he comes up to the house for water. I'm like, come on, man. Yeah. What's yeah. That was a bit ridiculous. Weak. Have a That's better weak. excuse to need yeah. to use the house for some reason. Yeah. Not just for a glass of water. You could go anywhere or whatever. Yeah. Mm -hmm. That's funny. So true. All right. So moving on from me, um, I have a moment that kind of watching this, it, it kind of gave me a little uh, gut punch. So we learn in the movie that the people that the Chesters are renting from has passed away and a new owner has taken over who is played by uh, Richard Crenna, who's Al Pellet. And up to this point, Al and Jack have had some run-ins and none right. of them are good. And Al says, I will get you at some point for it not knowing that Jack is renting the place. So when Jack goes to make the final payment for the rental, which is amazing, $1,000 for two weeks. Damn, I wish I could get that nowadays. Yeah, no kidding. Hell of a deal. Al's like, well, guess what? I'm not taking your check and you guys are going to be out of here by Saturday. So it puts into this motion, this whole thing where Jack is now going to try to race Al in this uh, yacht race that they have. And if Jack can win the race, he gets to, him and his family get to stay in the house for the rest of the month. Right. The boat that they find that they're going to use in the race is a boat that is attached to 
a the bar restaurant, the Barnacle, that they end up being in, in the beginning of the film. And of course, this boat has probably not been in, out in the water in at least 20 years. So they got a lot yeah. of work. They got a lot of work they got to do to get this boat ready. And Jack's kind of come to the realization that they're probably not going to win this race. The family's come to the realization his dad's not going to win this race. They're going to be out of there on Saturday. So Jack's coming home and Sandy's like, how are things going? And you could just tell he's like, man, this is not good. And he says, well, you know, the family's kind of upset. And we see uh, Jennifer played by Carrie Green kind of sitting out there on the sand. He's like, you know what? Let me go. Let me go talk to her first. And so they have this little moment where they're talking and it starts off that, you know, she's trying to tell a joke and he's trying to laugh just to kind of get her spirits up. And John Candy at one point says, you can't win them all. Meaning like, you know, we're not going to win this, but, you know, at least we're going to try. I think Jennifer follows up with, but it would be nice just to win one. And with that line, I don't know, it just really hit me because I just I just think about everything that was it's just really just been going on everywhere. You know, even even stuff with my own life and just the struggles everyone's going through. And I was just like, man, God, I feel like that right now. It's just like. I just want to win one. I just want to win one. And at least, you know, in the movie that, yeah, things are going to turn out. And I just like, God, what is my win that one? And right, right. hopefully the people that are listening to this, I hope that, you know, if you're going through these struggles right now that you find that one. But yeah, they just, man, it just really gut punched me when I heard that. God, I just felt like that today, too. It's just like a bad day at work. I'm just like, nothing's going right. I'm just like, God, just one thing go right. And just to hear someone else say, like, okay, you're not alone. A lot of people are going through this. Your one will come. Yeah, it was just, wow. it was just a moment that just kind of hit me, you know, kind of at a weird time. I hear you 100%, man. That is, that that's touching, actually, that it affected you like that. And uh, I can understand what you're saying. I think it's very relatable on that that level when, because we can definitely say that we've all been there in that whether it be a bad day, a bad week, month, or year, where it's just like, can't anything go right? And to think about it, though, on a macro level, I just wouldn't have taken it there. So I'm glad you did uh, because, yeah, we're just, I think as a country, the population is in a bit of a, is, whether it be emotionally, psychologically, you know, mentally, it, in a downturn here. Things are a little bit in a lull. Uh, I shouldn't say a little bit, they are a lot, uh, whether it's the economy or socially, otherwise, you know, we've got, and then even begin to speak on the war in Ukraine. It, it's just, there's a lot bad of news things after going, bad news. Yeah. It's a lot of bad news in the world and just what, you know, read the news every day. So well said, man. And uh, I, I will join you in saying, Hey, if uh, you're out there feeling it, you know, Hey, find, find a, find a happy eighties movie to put on. To, to lift your spirits for a couple hours. That would be my, my recommendation. There you go. That's a good one. <laughs> but not, I'm not saying that's the solution, but uh, it might help for uh, uh, yeah. you know, be a temporary. Yeah. Try to get away from it. Take a little break. Well said, Bill. Um, anything else for scenes or moments you want to share? No, I'm, I'm good. All right. So let's move on to Swiss cheese and complaints apartment. And why do we call it Swiss cheese? Because although this movie is delicious, it does have holes. Yeah, if it doesn't fall under Swiss cheese, it's just filed under the complaint department. All right, so what do we have for uh, Swiss cheese or complaints? I have one item for the Swiss cheese segment because 
This is here's my question. Now it, it's interesting because you talked about the fact that the Chesters are in initially in the wrong house. The first summer rental house they go to is belongs to another family. So in hindsight, when you look back, you then understand why their neighbors are looking at them strangely. However, my question is if you are the Chesters and you're at the wrong house for let's say even a day and a half, a couple of days, and it turns out to belong to an entirely different family who arrives and says they own the house, wouldn't there be other signs inside of the house that would turn you on to that fact, that would alert you to the fact that, yes, oh, here's a picture of a different family. This doesn't look like the like a Sears photo in a frame that somebody just put there to kind of set dress the house, you know? Uh, or something in the fridge or in the right. cabinets, like there or even be... the trash. Yeah. So it was that stood out to me. I was like, now, if the other family also, if like that, it was their summer rental and they were just coming there for the summer because they do arrive sort of in the middle of the night as a family and they hadn't been there for a couple of days, clearly. So if it was their summer rental, I could understand why it would be somewhat bare. Right, because you're not going to correct. You, there wouldn't be anything there. You would arrive, you would stock it, just like the Chester's do. But uh, they say that they own it, right? And I agree with that too. Even if they own it, maybe it was their first day. You would think they'd have clothes in there. Yeah. All right. Maybe they have no food in the, in the fridge, or you know, the trash is clean. They would have to have clothes, right? It, there, there would be some sort of signs. You're right. You're totally right. There would be some sort of signs that this house is occupied. And look, the movie doesn't work like that whole joke doesn't work if there's cuz it if it was that obvious that somebody else lived there unless I mean you could have done some subtle things maybe if and the Chesters just kind of ignored it or didn't see a photo here or there that looked over for some reason but yeah, I don't know. I want to also give a shout out to the upholstery of the the furniture in this summer rental because it has the very very typical flower yes. pattern. I don't even know what you call that material. That's probably a very specific material. The cover, like the, the cushion covers, has that flower pattern on it that uh, yeah, tropical. is so apropos of the Florida scene because that's exactly what the timeshare condos had that we stayed in as a family when I was young. Everything had that flower pattern. It's just a Florida thing. It's really funny. Yeah, because I thought about it too. It's like, well, why are the keys in the mailbox? Good point. Yeah. So, so maybe I'm like, all right, maybe the cleaning people were there that morning because they know they're coming and they that's where they leave the keys. I don't oh, know. That's a good explanation. Sure. That's how that's how I tried to explain that off. But right. that would still be kind of weird because you would think some cleaning people have the keys to that. I don't know. I, I don't have a cleaning person. I don't know how that works. Yeah. So that that was just my one hole. Did you have anything for Swiss cheese? Yeah, I did. And uh, I'll be honest, I, I saw this online. I was like, oh, okay, this makes a lot of sense. I kind of mentioned this in the moment. The big turn in the, in the movie is, you know, Jack's going to pay for the additional rent for the rest of the month or there for for four weeks, I believe, or, or her month. And that's when he runs into Al. We find out Al's the new owner and he's going to kick them out. Right. But supposedly contractually, he cannot do that. Correct. Has to honor their contract. See, and that would have played into a funny situation too, where, yeah, okay, he cannot kick them out, but why don't you try to make their life difficult? Like, oh, we're going to be putting in new plumbing. 
So now the house is not going to have water. Absolutely. Kind of do that thing to drive them crazy. Then Candy would do the boat challenge like, hey, knock it off. We want to spend the rest of our vacation here stress-free. I'll race you for it. See, there's another angle that they could have played. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Instead of just doing the throwdown saying, I'm going to kick you out on Saturday, which you can't do. Al just tries to make them as miserable as possible. And then they just stand up because, yeah, because, of course, one of those things like you see in the beginning of the movie that the race is happening on the 15th, I think. Uh huh. And then there's that whole, of course, it's always the time turnaround of, okay, how much time has passed? I think they only have three days to get ready for the race. Taking the, the barnacle boat out of dry dock or not, it wasn't even dry dock. It is in the water. Right. I get it all fixed and get the barnacle had a shit ton of barnacles on it. <laughs> it certainly did. Yeah. I think it was like their makeshift kitchen. Yeah. Right. Definitely had some work that they were going to do. With the frozen fish sticks as yes. the Scully's catch of the day. That was hilarious. <laughs> that was pretty funny. So yeah, that was my, my first complaint. Like technically he couldn't do what he did, but you still could have worked around. You could have figured it out. That's unfortunately brushing a film into production and getting it done. Great point. Yeah. And I'm, I'm glad you did bring that fact up earlier that I, at least I thought you did. Uh, yeah. That it was rushed. I think they, sh- and they, didn't they shoot this like in seven weeks or something like that? Stepping yeah. on trivia here a bit. I think it was like March and April and it got released in August. Yeah. So that's a, that's a very quick turnaround time. Things fall through the cracks. They gloss over things. Let's just put it yes. that way. All right. Well, uh, did you have any other holes or are we going to complaints? We're going to issue some complaints. Yeah, let's issue some complaints. All right. All right. Well, here's kind of a question for you then. Okay. National Lampoon's Vacation comes out in 83, if I'm not mistaken. Do you think this is kind of, is this the poor man's National Lampoon's Vacation in a way? In a way, it's just, there's some very obvious similarities for me. We have the inept sort of bumbling father, Chevy Chase, played that character in Vacation. We have the attractive wife who looks very similar to Beverly D'Angelo, in my opinion. That is a good call there. You know, the father feels initially somewhat emasculated and has something to prove uh, in order to make the vacation what you would think. This is what they didn't actually fulfill, but this is what I thought in the beginning. And so I'm kind of I'm going to answer my own question here eventually. But it's it's the, the thing is, is that you would think Jack Chester would have, you know, he's got something to prove in order to make the vacation a good time for everyone. And also to prove that he is a capable father, provider, uh, man. And then, of course, everything goes wrong for him and the vacation in general. So in the beginning, I was like, oh, boy, is this just did they just really borrow from vacation and kind of try to put a summer rental twist on it? So it's not completely. But I didn't know if you had seen or thought of of that at all or compared it at all to vacation. I didn't think of it, but listening to you, yes, there's some themes that kind of go hand in hand. But no, I didn't think of it. But what you're saying, I was like, oh, yeah, I can. Yeah, I'm definitely buying what you're selling right now. Yeah. So if, you know, it didn't go in the same, you know, direction, obviously that vacation does, but there was just some similarities, I thought, because it centers around the dad, right? The dad is the one who's trying who. Yeah. Cause he wants to have the perfect vacation and yeah, it sounds like they never go on vacation. So this is really a chance for them to try to bond. And, but then he's trying to, he kind of mentioned the beginning all about summer camp stuff. 
And yeah, it kind of it's another thing. It kind of gets away from it. You don't know where he's trying to get out of the trip besides trying to relax. It's the first time he's because in the beginning he's kind of stressed because he doesn't want to do this, but he realizes that he needs to. Right. But yeah, I would say yeah, character wise. But yeah, I could call on the on the uh, the moms. I'm like, oh yeah, they could definitely play could have played sisters in something. Yeah, and uh, absolutely. Uh, shout out to Karen Austin who plays Sandy Chester. Uh, she was great. I thought she was extremely likable in the film. I wish yeah, she had I more to do. Yes, like I an agree. actual through line of some kind. But anywho, oh, real quick, let's just talk about this then. The nursery school for Lori, the youngest daughter, while on vacation. On summer vacation, you could put the little one in nursery school. Yeah. What's the point of having her? Isn't she supposed to enjoy the family vacation with everybody? Yeah, I, didn't, I don't know. I didn't get that at all. I was like, why are you send her nursery school? You can't yeah. watch her on the beach? What's the problem there? That confused me. Uh, yeah, I agree. That made no sense to me either. Okay. I thought this was kind of funny. So who parks their car and leaves their windows open nowadays? Or even back then? Because we have that opening scene when uh, Candy's going to work and he gets cut off on the road. Oh, sure. Yeah, right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then he pulls into his space and then that other station wagon pulls in too close. And the guy has his windows down. It just gets <laughs> off and walks off. I'm like, <laughs> yeah. No, no, you're not going to leave your windows down. Wow. Like maybe. It's a good catch. It's true. You're right. I, no, you wouldn't. Nobody. You never do. Like back then, maybe you crack them. Because, it, you know, it is Atlanta in the summer, so it's, it is probably hot. But it looked like it was going to rain, too. Come on. It did. You're right. My car's not going to be there when you get back. There's only one circumstance I can think of and I can tell you about where you leave, leave your windows open after parking your car. And that's when you're camping in the woods or in the mountains where there are bears. That's what we were told when, uh, at base camp to hike Mount Whitney. Because the issue is if you have anything that remotely smells like food the bears will smash open the windows they'll literally smash them open so if you don't want your windows busted open you you just roll them down don't have any food of course or anything that crumbs or anything in your car of course you don't want a bear rooting around in your car to begin with but yeah you'd leave the the windows down but you're in the middle of nowhere too so who the hell's going to take your car good point Hey, man, so we've got uh, Rip Torn in this movie. He plays Scully. Oh, yeah, we haven't even talked about him yet. Yeah, he's great, man. Oh, no, fun character, yes. It is. He is fun, but he's batshit crazy, man. Scully <laughs> yes, is, is. A, a present day in 1985 pirate. He's got a hook for a hand. It's 1985, and he's using, he, he actually speaks in a pirate accent, like the actual R, matey. Yes, he does. Right? Yes, the whole time. He's in character. So are we is the conceit that they're that he's just this character is, is in character. Or he's just a modern day pirate and we just gotta go with it. Or is he are we are we to think maybe he's just cuckoo for Cocoa Puffs? Yeah, and there's a story we never get. Because I thought for sure maybe at one point you would find out that hook was fake. Right. Yeah, exactly. Or you at I least find out what happened. Yeah, sorry to cut you off. No, go ahead. There's a John Candy comes to the bar at the barnacle to get drunk and Scully's serving the shots and it fits perfectly in his yes. hook. Like yes. it rests right in, like he's got it shaped so it can carry the shot glass perfectly. So yeah, I was just wondering about that because I'm like, wait, why is he, he's actually talking like a pirate pirate? Like it's not like a themed 
like a themed bar. No. Like it's and he's just playing a part as like, hey, welcome to the barnacle. I'm your uh waiter pirate or whatever, bartender pirate. No, he's actually that character the whole time. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's funny. And the fact that he becomes best buddies with Jack. Yeah, that's the real relationship, isn't it? In this yeah, movie. That's the that's most the developed actual yeah. most developed relationship in the whole movie. That is. Is Jack and the Pirate. Yeah, for sure. When he's yeah, because he teaches them how to sail. That's the mm-hmm. whole thing. And they're exchanging words of wisdom and life lessons out there on the on the wide open sea. Yeah, speaking of uh, Scully, he's got his also the sidekick characters at the Barnacle, whom could be I could see this as like an ensemble cast in a Sandler movie, actually. Where you get to know these characters oh, a little yeah. bit more, like oh my as god, it, that would be perfect. Yeah, that's Sorry. the thing. Yeah, it makes me think like uh, first like fifty first dates that took place in Hawaii. That was there's some stuff at a restaurant there, but it, it it I don't know why it reminded me of that. But regardless, you know how Sandler uses all of his friends, and yep. they always they're always reoccurring characters. And in this, we have Cortez, who I believe is the cook. We have an old Asian bearded gentleman named Yorku whom I believe is the actual name of the actor, if I'm not mistaken. That's funny. And it's like, who are these guys? These crazy characters in this bar. I'd love to know more about them. We get introduced to the Angus, who's the Scottish guy towards the very end of the movie. And we're like, I'm like, who yeah, the where, hell is this guy? Where'd he come from? And why is he so Scottish? With a capital S. With the red hair and the clothes he's wearing. He's the actual stereotype caricature of a Scottish guy. Like from The Simpsons. Yes. Or something, you know? Or Mike Myers would have played him. Yeah, that's what I was thinking too. <laughs> yeah. I was like, is this uh, So I Married an Axe Murderer? Yes. Uh, very funny, man. So I was, it is, it's one of these movies now, because I'm thinking it's very amusing because these characters are actually kind of funny. And it works on a one level, but it's so superficial. So I was just, this is a complaint because I'm like, we got a, a solid kooky supporting cast of characters, but we don't know anything about them at all, where they came from, why are they there? They just sort of help clean up the barnacle boat to get it into the regatta at the end. And that's it. No, good call on that. Um, especially with the Adam Sandler reference. I'm like, yeah, that, that would have been the way you do it. They have their little moment in the sun. Right. They got to give you that belly laugh and they don't. Yeah. Just some quick advice for anyone that's uh, vacationing. Don't ever try to go to a restaurant on the weekend. You know, if you're going to vacation, it's always lines out the door. Great point. Just go order some pizza the first night. Go to the restaurant during the week. There you go. Uh, they're at the, the other house and they go to this restaurant and it's a line out the door. No way. Right. I'm always like, if we're going out to eat on vacation, it's Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, or Thursday. Not doing Friday, Saturday, or Sunday. No way. Unless you make, I guess, could you make reservations a month ahead of time? Or I don't know if they even. Yeah. Oh, I don't even know if they no, really that place didn't take reservations. Yeah, that place that didn't take reservations. Yeah, yeah, so there you go. Except if you're Mr. Pellet. That's right. So here's a complaint. You know, we'll talk a little bit more about, we're going to get into the story aspect or aspects here or lack thereof. And this was a big issue for me because even though I am clearly rooting for the Chesters to win the Citrus Cove regatta at the end, it just didn't feel like the stakes were that high, meaning they're just trying to win an additional two weeks of extended vacation at the summer rental for free. If they lose, 
They just go home. Right. That's it. So the race felt, the, the boat race, the regatta, excuse me, regatta, it felt a little slow. And sometimes the boats seem like they're not even moving. What are we doing all this for? It just felt like there should have been more at stake in order for them to really savor the win at the end, you know? Yeah. And yeah, I would have to go back and compare it to one crazy summer because if they lose the race, then they don't get their development. Whereas Al loses the race, he loses the race. That's it. He doesn't get his trophy. Pretty much. He's already won seven straight. It's a big deal. There's nothing else that tight. Yeah, I, I was kind of thinking the same thing. I was like, oh, what's so funny about this podcast sometimes? Because then when you really start analyzing, you're like, oh, yeah, it's not really a big deal if Al loses the race. You nailed something there because that's what we, we did as kids, right? You just go with it. Like you're following kind of a... You get used to a certain rhythm, like a story, a type. And then sometimes you assume that the stakes are, they're just supposed to be high. So you go with it instead of analyzing. You just don't analyze it as a kid. Yeah. You know, you're like, oh, this is the big climax. This is so we want to root for the good guys. They're supposed to, you know, we want them to win because they're just trying to beat the bad guy. And that's all that matters as a kid. But now we're looking at it going, why, why do I care? <laughs> you know? I mean, big time trope. I mean, what kind of friend would hook you up with a dump of a, a rental place? I mean, oh, yeah. It is right. off the beach. But yeah, that was such an 80s cliche. Anytime they were going somewhere, oh, this place is, I heard was great. And and it's always a, a shit show place. Comple- yeah, totally. But you know, your friend puts you on this leave to make sure that you're rested and you can come back to work. And granted, I think it only costs $2,000 for the month, which is amazing. I would stay there for $2,000 for a month. I wouldn't care because it's right off the beach. Right. But why would you do that? You didn't even show them pictures? Or when's the last time you saw this? Is is this somewhere you stayed like 20 years ago? Is that why you think it's still good? Right. Man, you just did your friend dirty. Oh, completely. I, I thought the exact same thing. That's a great call. I was like, man, your boss is an a-hole. Yes. I think his name was Hal or something like that. Yeah, I'm like, Hal. Hal, what are you doing, man? Because he seems so concerned about John Candy at the opening when he's like, you got way too much stress and I'm giving you mandatory five weeks vacation. Okay. You have to take it immediately. Mm-hmm. Like really looking out for him. And then he sends him down to a shithole. Yep. It's like, what? Come on, dude. Technology today, man. It just makes me think too, how different it is now because uh, I've got another vacation being planned with my family and how you do everything online. Like you said, looking at photos and, you know, planning to rent a BR, uh, Airbnb or Verbo or whatever. It's just insanely it's expensive. No. Oh, yeah. We're running a place later in the summer, and yeah, we're paying almost twice as much for one week as he's paying for the month. Right. But of course, the technology, you know, Google Maps, like I see where this place exactly is. I know exactly. everything's around it. And I'm like, okay, we're this far from the beach, yeah. and this is the close. Here's where the supermarket is, so we can go buy food when we get there and all that kind of stuff. You didn't have that in 85. No, nope. nope. you got usually it was like a little picture of the front of the house and like a brochure. And yeah, I was just going to say, he had a brochure. Yeah. What's, uh, what's your next complaint? All right. If the kids are going to be part of the crew, give them something to do in that final race. Have them somehow help win the race. The best thing they could have done was jump overboard when they realized there was too much weight. They did nothing else except cheer. Yeah, it's a great point. I Yeah, absolutely. It's like you finally bring the family together at the end. and They're all working on the boat. And then John Candy, Jack, makes them part of the crew to be in the race, well, then have them do something. 
Oh yeah, absolutely. Maybe something rips and only Bobby can climb up and get a snap line or something. Just just something that's going to bring the family together because they they won this race together. Yeah, they yes, they all did help to put the boat together. But once they get on the boat, they're totally useless. And when they were throwing everything off the boat, I'm like, tell the kids to go overboard <laughs> too. It's a great point, Bill, because the thing, because we're talking about lack of story development here, character development, relationship development. So for listeners out there, just for the layman, a lot of times you have the, what's called the A story in a film. It's just the main plot line, the main through line of the the film where you're following a a protagonist, a character, a hero or heroine uh, and their journey. And then there's usually a story B and or C. So there's, and you could call them subplots, but there are secondary stories in the film. And that's where this film is severely lacking because you could have had something with the daughter, as you mentioned earlier, Bill, and either she's meeting John Larroquette's son and hitting it off with him. And there's a budding relationship there or one of the lifeguards we know she's been flirting with. There could have been a budding relationship there. We know that. John Candy is supposed to teach his son how to sail and takes him out, but that's a failed endeavor because they end up crashing into Pallet's or Pellet's boat. And that's how John Candy hurts his knee. But then that ends the bonding experience between father and son for uh, John Candy and his son, which now you, and this is what I'm coming back to why you make such a good point, because had those situations been explored or developed, which whether it was with the daughter or the son, that could have come into play as to how they would have been a, a more useful part of the crew on the boat during the regatta at the end. Let's say John Candy is like, yes, I need to have a bonding experience with my son. And this is the moment where it comes to fruition. My son's going to take the, the wheel and steer or whatever it is on the boat And we're going to do this together. We're going to win this race together. And my daughter, I'm okay with her dating the lifeguard or the uh, John Larroquette's son. Maybe he's on the boat too and they help each other or whatever it might be. You know what I mean? Yeah. You might find out he's an expert. He's an expert boatman because they own a boat. So he couldn't maybe somehow. We're figuring this up right now in real time, Mm -hmm. Bill. Let's rewrite this because that all makes sense where then you have a real climax of, oh, this is how our characters come together and they figure out what's important. There's the lesson that's learned. There's a good message, et cetera, versus what you said, uh, which is the reality of this movie is that the kids are just flopping around on the boat, not doing anything and just cheering on. So that's a real issue because we you, you mentioned also John Larroquette, his, his character is uh, wasted completely in this film. There could have been a storyline of him trying to or attempting a relationship with John Candy's wife uh, for different reasons. It could have been comedic. He may, uh, I think you had this thought earlier too, Bill, that maybe he's not even hitting on her, but the fact that he's a threat to John Candy's manhood or John Candy's jealous of him because he's wealthy and well-to-do and relaxed and easygoing and suave, that John Candy then it gets jealous and thinks his wife might be having an affair with him and start spying on him and, and doing all these things and hijinks ensue that way. So that's, like you said, wasted opportunity. Yeah. I just thought, again, stakes not being as high, you know, especially start from the start, he gets this mandatory vacation. It wasn't as if he was fired from his job or it wasn't anything super awful that happened. It's like, oh, 
poor guy has to take a five week vacation. <laughs> All right. I know. And then he goes down. And so again, ultimately my big complaint is I don't know what the movie is trying to say. And I'm not saying every movie has to have a specific message. It can just be simply entertaining. I mean, I mean, what was the message of stri- like stripes? I don't know, but it was a freaking hilarious movie, but uh, another John Candy, right? Uh, anyway. Yeah. So but I think this movie could have had a message about family connection and how that's the important thing. It's and that you can find fun in any situation and relaxation in the worst of scenarios. Anyway. No, you, I think you have it. He's stressed and his solution is his family. His family is what's going to right. bring him back to being his normal self. And we don't get to it. Kind of teased a little bit. Yeah. They're separated the whole movie. Um, so my last complaint, very superficial on this one. I was hoping there's outside of a trophy, some kind of cash prize because the barnacle just threw off all their goddamn equipment and food yeah. off the boat there. What's That's Scully going to do after this? <laughs> you can't recover those freezers, man. Those aren't right. cheap. That's a, that's a great one. I actually put that in my complaint for a different reason. I actually said, so the big solution to winning the race because they're behind is to get rid of all the ballast from the boat and they throw all their trash and the freezer into the ocean. Not very eco-friendly or environmentally conscious. It's a real setting, a real bad message. That's true. Cause you figure freezers back then, whatever the hell they were made out of. Oh yeah. yeah right. Not good. But you make a great point. You're throwing Scully's livelihood overboard. Yes. <laughs> That's to win a race. That's that just shows what a friendship Scully and Jack have. That he's just like, yep, just dump it all. It's the best relationship in the movie. Yes, it is. Do you have anything else for just cheese or complaints? My final complaint is simply that Jack uses his pants as an additional sail on the boat in order to win the race. Did that just fucking happen? That's all I have to say. All right. <laughs> We'll leave it there. Um, so let's move on to our next segment, which is, hey, it's that actor. All right. So in this segment, we spotlight a character actor you have seen in many other films, an actor making their big screen debut, or an actor that makes an uncredited cameo. It's, hey, it's that actor. All right. Do you want, why don't you go first okay. this time? This shocked the crap out of me. So I, ha- I had to put this person down. And even when I saw him in the credits, I did not believe it was that person. And I had, I had to go back and watch Ooh. the movie again to make sure it was him. And we did briefly just mention him during the complaint department. Richard Hurd, who played Angus McLaughlin. Right. Yeah. Blown away. Did not know it was him. So who is Richard Hurd? He's a great character actor. Once I start listing some of his credits, you know you have seen him. His biggest role was probably as Wilhelm on Seinfeld. He's a recurring character. He worked, George worked under him at the Yankees. So he had a, he had a oh, couple of roles in that. Oh, okay, sure. He was in such films as All the President's Men, The China Syndrome. He's very known, well known in the science fiction community because he played uh, Supreme Commander John in the 1983 NBC miniseries V. And oh, wow. it was in the sequel. He played a Klingon liqueur on Star Trek The Next Generation. He played Admiral Owen Paris on Star Trek Voyager and Star Trek Renegades. Um, he continued acting way into his 80s, uh, where he appeared in A Christmas in New York in 2016, Get Out in 2017, and The Silent Natural in 2020. 
Uh, he unfortunately passed away recently. He was a painter, and I found this fact pretty cool. So he is the founding member of the Enterprise Blues Band, which was made up of cast members from various Star Trek series. And they did actually release an album called the Enterprise Blues Intergalactic Roots Music in 2004. Wow. So Richard Hurd. That's insane. That's great. I had no idea it was him. No clue. No clue. I thought it was a great mistake. credits in there. And I had to go back and watch it just to make sure it was him. I love it. All right. Uh, uh, my, hey, it's that actor is Carmine Caridi, who plays Ed who is Vicky's husband in this film. Oh, right, 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 right. So I had mentioned the character of Vicky, who it's a running joke in the film that doesn't, again, really have any arc or it's just she's got a boob job and she keeps showing everybody in town because she wants validation that the the boob job she got was quality. She uh, got her money's worth. Regardless, the, the actual funniest aspect of it is that her husband ed is somewhat okay with the fact that she keeps showing her boobs to everybody he's totally confident in his relationship with his wife and knows that she's not doing it to flirt with everybody else she just wants to make sure her boobs look good and ed's like you don't need to do it they're beautiful there you don't have to show everybody your boobs put your boobs away it's kind of that in itself is very funny so when you see carmine caridi he's got one of those faces character actor big guy he's like six four uh and he actually has a very Italian look. I mean, his name is Carmen Caridi. So, but also uh, he does have that Italian kind of heavy look, if that yes. makes sense. And so then it wouldn't surprise you to know that he played the role of Carmine Rosato in 1974's The Godfather Part Two. Uh, he was in, after that, uh, Car Wash in 1976. Just a ton of TV shows, a lot of TV work. So he goes back to the mid seventies and was doing TV all the way through the eighties. He was doing, he was on Kojak, Quincy, M.E., Starsky and Hutch, The Rockford Files, Barney B. Jones, Taxi. He was in the film Prince of the City called Classic from 81. He was uh, for a whole year. He was in 14 episodes of fame. He was also in Brewster's Millions with John Candy. Okay. And 85 plays Salvino in that film. Uh, he's in The Money Pit, which we absolutely must do on this show. He's just, again, got one of those faces and a ton of stuff. Bugsy, he was in Ruby in 92. He was in Curb Your Enthusiasm, episode of Curb Your Enthusiasm in 2020. And unfortunately, uh, yes, he passed away in 2019. And it's according to IMDb, he died due to complications following a fall. Ooh. So I don't know the details on that, but... Uh, R.I.P. Carmine Caridi. Good call on that one. Yeah, look him up. He's great. All right. So that takes us to facts and trivia, which I have very little of. But do we have any facts and trivia that we have not already talked about? Because I think we kept throwing it out during the episode so far. Do you have anything left, Jason? Uh, just because we are doing our Summer at the Cinema series. is that That's an alliteration, correct? Summer at the Cinema yeah. series. I keep wanting to say that summer, summer series at the cinema. Summer at the cinema it's series. It's a tongue twister. This was one of three John Candy films released during the summer of 1985. The others were Volunteers, where Candy reteamed with Splash co-star Tom Hanks and Brewster's Millions, which starred Richard Pryor. So I didn't realize Karen Austin, we gave a shout out to, plays Sandy Chester, 
John Candy's wife in this movie, was only 29 when the movie was filmed and less than 12 years older than Carrie Green, who played her daughter, Jennifer. Yeah, I was kind of surprised at that because I, I think that was another one, just like the, we had with uh, Linda Kozlowski with Crocodile Dundee, right. yeah, where totally. she looked older until, uh, all right, I'm just going to admit that scene on the beach. And I was like, whoa, all right, she looks really good. Absolutely. And that's yeah. where I was like, oh, yeah, she definitely has the body of a 20-year-old. Right, right. Go ahead. What do you got? And then, um, yeah, I thought that was interesting because you're just talking about uh, Karen, uh, that she and John Larroquette worked together on Night Court. I totally forgot she was in that first season of that show before um, Charles Robinson took over. Yeah, how about that? Yeah, I have to go back and find some of those. Um, the only other trivia I have left that we have not talked about was um, Carrie Green kind of played uh, two different characters in this movie because she uh, had to dub some of the lines of uh, Aubrey Jean. Uh, played yeah. Laurie Chester, and it was a pretty funny story. Was um, doing the ADR sessions. They weren't going to bring Aubrey in to do it because it's a three-year-old. So they just asked Carrie to do it, and um, you can kind of tell a little bit. Yeah. Now, now that I know that, yes. Yeah. yeah, it was one of those after you read it, and then you're like, oh yeah, now I definitely see it. And there seems to be a little bit of an inside joke in the movie because Jennifer does tell her little sister to stop saying everything I say. Right. Which is just fine. She's saying it. Good stuff, man. Yeah. The last thing I have, honestly, here is this is the second film during the summer of 1985 to feature the late and great Richard Crenna, uh, which was also a hit. So the first was the blockbuster sequel Rambo First Blood Part Two, starring Sylvester Stallone, where Crenna was reprising his memorable role as Colonel Sam Troutman. Yes. Yeah. So he's so cool in those. He was. It was always great to see him show up. I like in Rambo 3, too, when he shows up in that one, the beginning. I'm like, yeah, man, Troutman's back. Yep. Richard Crenn. Always happy to see him. Yeah. All right. So let's move on to box office. So Summer Rental was released on August 9th, 1985 in 1,584 theaters. On an estimated budget of $11 million, it grossed $24.6 million domestically. It debuted number two at the box office behind the number one movie of the year, which was Back to the Future. It was still going strong. Um, it stayed in the top 10 for another three weeks. Um, John Candy, and you mentioned too, was also in another top 10 film that month, which was Volunteers with Tom Hanks. Moving on to reviews, this is really fast. Could not find anything on Siskel and Ebert. I don't think they uh, reviewed Summer Rental. I couldn't even find an Ebert review on Summer Rental, which is kind of surprising. Huh. On Rotten Tomatoes, though, Summer Rental has a tomato meter score of 17%. Oof. Yeah, but an IMDb score of 6.2. So that's okay. Huh. There you go. So that uh, brings us to our additional thoughts and questions. What are some additional thoughts and questions we have on Summer Rental? Wow, we're already here. Yes. Boy, summer went by fast. Yes, it did. Uh, so you ever fall asleep in the sun, Bill? No. I had a serious sunburn once on a fishing trip. My uncle took us fishing. and It was cool. It was off this uh, railroad tracks. and But yeah, oh my God. We got, like, you could peel off chunks of skin a week later. Oof. Yeah, 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 yeah. I know what that's like. Yeah, and I've had I've had the blistering... That too. Yeah, I'm fair skinned, so I always gotta make sure I have a ton of sunscreen on. I'm pretty sure I got the uh Freddy Krueger name calling a couple times as a result of all the blisters on my face. Not very nice, but 
but I have made that joke with the if I get red, I'm like, oh, it's a good base. It's a good base. Starting right. out. <laughs> I'll even do that to my kids as they get red. I'm like, it's all right. It's a good base. It's a good base. It's good yeah. starting out. Uh, so I got to ask, man, you know, we, we're going to cover a lot of John Candy performances and films along the way. But I'll just ask right now, do you have a favorite John Candy performance and or movie? I think the, fir- the first one that popped in my head was Plane Strays and Automobiles. That's for me. That's, yeah, just just stands out. Yeah. But I love I I mean I was a huge SCTV fan. Okay, I really yeah. loved that show. Yeah, it would be on for me. It was Fridays at eleven thirty, and I would watch that instead of Carson. Oh wow, um, there you yeah. go. So, sure. Yeah, I did not watch Carson on on Friday nights because I was watching SCTV on PBS. It was on PBS. There you go. Good stuff. Uh, yeah, I would. I, you know, you know, we covered Splash here, and he was so good in that really funny in that he's i mean he's he's brilliant and everything so it's it's a it's a tough choice i'm trying to include or think about his later films but uh we'll we'll revisit that question i'm sure but planes trains and automobiles he just pulls at the heartstrings in that one he's not just funny he has range some really good range in that movie and uh yeah i don't know it's a touching performance actually i feel so uh i got a just real quick trivia question for you Okay. Can you name at least two of the movie posters featured at the movie theater where Sandy Chester and the kids go when it's raining in this movie? Okay. Um, Footloose, definitely. Yeah. And I kind of gave it away because they're listening to Footloose. And then I remember there was the one next to Footloose was like a war film. You are absolutely correct. And I don't think it's one I've actually seen. I have not seen it either. That was Uncommon Valor. Okay. And then the other ones. Yeah, what are the other ones? So outside, when they're walking into the theater, you see the movie poster for Top Secret. Right. Delighted me. Yes. Why well, didn't remember that? I was like, oh, Jace is going to love this. Yeah, right. And then inside the theater, there is another shot when they're just about to walk in the theater. You see the uh, poster for Dragon Slayer. That's which right. Which we covered on this podcast. Yeah. So, and then there is another one in there that I couldn't make out quite. And then I read in the research, I think it's supposed to be like Airplane 2. I could be wrong. Though. Oh, I don't okay. Know. Yeah, because Footloose is outside and inside. That's the one that's in, outside and inside. And then, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uncommon Valor. Yeah. And because I think, and you had told me this too, and it is in the research because these are Paramount pictures as well. Yes. So that all makes sense. A little marketing there. All right, so I think I already know the answer to this question, but I'm going to ask you anyway. Sure. What boat race was better? One crazy summer or summer rental? <laughs> it's my last question here, Bill. No is way. Is the sailing race at the end of one crazy summer better? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Is that the same question, man. Oh, you know awesome. what? I have to give it to one crazy summer because of a couple of things that I just find nostalgic about that. One, they have Odie on the boat. Yes, there uh, you go. From Garfield. Tongueless Odie. Right. And the fact that they, it's funny that in summer rental, it's against the rules to use the outboard engine on the boat or the engine in the boat to propel them versus one crazy summer. I love the fact that they actually have to use, is it the Ferrari engine that they had stolen? Yes. yes. In order to propel them into first place. I think that's funny that there's that, Almost similarity there with the engine aspect to it. Uh, so I, I like that about One Crazy Summer. And I, 
always loved seeing. As much as I thought Richard Crenna was a great comedic antagonist in this, uh, I, I do love seeing Jeremy Piven get his comeuppance. Mm-hmm. Only, especially because isn't he the one that ripped apart Odie in One Crazy Summer? He eats the tongue. He eats, yeah. So, yeah, yeah. See, that's yeah. So I liked. Uh, I'm going with One Crazy Summer. How about you? Oh yeah, I agree too. It's not even close. It's One Crazy Summer. And if you haven't heard our podcast on that, that was in our last year's summer right. series. Yeah. yeah, because that was the thing. Everyone that was on the boat had a role. Everyone brought something to the table. Right. Which they did not do in this movie. I think luckily I saw Summer Rental first. So maybe I like the boats more in Summer Rental. But no, overall, the race is way better. I got you. I got you. All right. All right. And then my uh, next question is, which Carl Reiner movie is better? Summer School or Summer Rental? I have to go with Summer School, man. I hate to just be dog and summer rental but uh summer school man mark Harmon is just too cool in it you get uh kirstie alley but uh i mean you got dave and chainsaw man yeah you can't beat it that duo and the makeup effects in the <laughs> they scare that do is it that, bill is that your blood <laughs> <laughs> absolutely <laughs> Yeah, man. I think the ensemble cast kind of from summer school just already kind of beats out summer rental. So yeah, uh, summer school, it's it's not really fair. I'm biased. I have more personal attachment to that. I watched that so many times versus summer rental. Mm-hmm. Uh, so just a lot more familiarity and comfortability there with uh, summer school for me. Yeah, I'm agreeing with your pick too. I would take summer school over summer rental and what do you know? We did that one last year on our summer series. So check that, yeah. check that one out too. If you haven't heard it yet. Yeah. That was fun covering that. Yeah. Yeah. Anything else for questions or additional thoughts? I think that's it for me, Bill Bat. All right. So um, yeah. So recommendations, what are recommendations for summer rental? What do you got? So this is what I'll say. If you're watching TV with your young kids during the summer and nothing else is on, this is okay. Otherwise, say skip it. You're not missing anything. That's my opinion. Sorry, Summer Rental, Carl Reiner, John Candy. But yeah, like I said, nothing else is on and you're watching it with the young kids. The kids will get a kick out of it, I think. Uh, there is some relatability. John Candy's always a pleasure to watch. I just wish that the film had more of, like I said, there. it was just lacking in development and I wish that... Uh, some of these characters had more to do and that there was more of a concrete, tangible message that could have come across because John Candy in this film, it would have been, you know, it's just one thing I, I wanted to mention earlier. It's like he is so committed to learning how to sail and winning this race that he misses out on this quality time with his family. And that should have been the issue and his family is kind of, fumbling about or whatever on the side and maybe there's issues there and they have to come together in order to become a family unit again at the end and that's all that matters and that should have been the message and none of that uh rang true so not to bring up a, another complaint from another segment but that was my main issue so i'd say skip it okay i was surprisingly on the fence on this one okay yeah sure 
because it is a John Candy vehicle. And if you love John Candy, you're watching it for John Candy. True. Uh, if you haven't seen it in a while and you're going back to watch it, poked a ton of holes in it. Right. I think if you've never seen it before and you're kind of on the fence with John Candy, which I don't know how that's possible. Yeah. That group, I would say, yeah, you don't need to see this one. Yeah. Okay. But it was, I did like going back and watching it, but I did think of another movie that you should probably go see instead. Um, it's a 1962 movie and it's called Mr. Hobbs Takes a Vacation. Aha. It's got Jimmy Stewart, Maureen O'Hara, uh, John Saxon from uh, Nightmare on Elm Street and uh, Fabian's in it. it. It almost has a similar plot line to it where uh, uh, Jimmy Stewart plays a stressed banker and him and his wife are going to go on vacation in Europe. And the wife decides, no, let's just rent a house on the beach, uh, bring the whole family together and enjoy a summer vacation. And um, Jimmy Stewart has four, four kids, three daughters and then a youngest son. Two of the daughters are old enough that they are married and have kids. So he's kind of a grandpa in this. And of course, the house they go to is a piece of shit. And um, but see, the thing with this is, you know, there's a lot of problems going on. But Jimmy Stewart is trying to interfere and try to kind of fix things. And there is a there is actually a scene in this, too. I'm, I'm wondering how much they stole now that I'm going back and thinking about it, where him and his son go out on a boat. And I'm not going to give away something, something happens, which was way better than what happens in this movie, which I thought was kind of cool and actually kind of made me nervous when I was a kid watching it. But I know it was one of my grandfather's favorite movies because he said it always kind of reminded him of when we went on vacation. So it, it does make me think of him a lot, but it is, I think it's one of those Jimmy Stewart movies that a lot of people don't know about. And if it's on, I'm watching the rest of it wherever it is. I'm I'm watching it. It's enjoy. It's an it's a very easy watch. It's Jimmy cool. Stewart. It's 1960s. So yeah, don't expect big things from it. But yeah, it's a it's a nice fun uh, watch. Just going back to summer rental. This is definitely a movie. Um, if someone came to me and said, "Hey, do you want to remake this?" I'd be like, "Yes, right. I want to do it." And you know, you've heard Jason and I go back and forth on what we can do to hopefully change it and make it better. Um, but yeah, the, the selling point of this movie is just John Candy and, and that's it. So if you're a John Candy fan and for some reason you haven't seen it, that's probably the only reason that you need to check it out. If you haven't seen it in a while, I don't think you'll be that disappointed going back to watching it. It is a very short film and there was moments I did laugh out loud. I'll admit I, I did chuckle at, at a couple of things here and there, but yeah, I, I was really seeing the holes this time and really analyzing from a writer's perspective of like, Oh yeah, I would have fixed this. I would have changed this line. I would have done something with this storyline. So uh, yeah, if you're a writer, this is a good movie to just check out and just ha- what would you do? How would you fix it? How would you change it? Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. That'd be a good, that, that would be a great film school exercise, you know, for young writers to see films like this and go, look, there's something here. How do we make it better? Yes. What's missing? Yeah. Cause you, I mean, you have John Candy and you, Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Even his bad movies are good movies. Yeah. Yeah. Great stuff. All right. Anything else? Oh, I was just going to say, say the name of the uh, Jimmy Stewart film again for our audience. What was the title of that film? Mr. Hobbs takes a vacation. There you go. There you yeah. go. Ladies and gents. All right. That's it. That's all I got, man. 
All right, so uh, that about wraps it up for this week's episode. As always, thank you so much for listening. Please take the time to subscribe, give us a review, and rate us. We'd really appreciate the support. If you want to reach out, you can email us at all80smoviespodcast at gmail.com. Please send us your feedback, questions, or recipes to share. You can follow us on Facebook Meta at All80smoviespodcast or tweet us at podcastall80s. Next week, our Summer at the Cinema series continues as we will be discussing the baseball comedy Major League, starring Tom Berenger, Charlie Sheen, and Wesley Snipes. Until then, have a truly great week, everyone. Life's a beach, Bill. Thanks for staying up with us. Good night, world.